and welcome to another episode of the Live Immediately podcast with Mike Campbell. Thank you so much for listening. This is where I have conversations with people who are living life on their own terms. We dive into those big moments that have pushed them through the fears and self-limiting beliefs that hold so many of us back. Now, money is a very interesting element in our society. We seem to work so hard to acquire it, often not knowing why we want it and simply believing we need more of it. In today's episode, I have a wonderful chat with Samantha Dove about the rich life and how money is only a small ingredient of it. We cover a lot in this episode as Sam and I discuss the real cost of things, not just the money cost, but also the time and mental costs, the balancing dance between money and time, the benefits of experimenting and testing things in your own life, and that juggle between kids and work. Sam also touches on this notion of knowing your number, that financial dollar amount that you need to live on each year, that once you know the number, it can help with making other life decisions. Sam also talks about the importance of recording what you spend your money on, analyzing it, and then comparing that with your values. This was a fun chat, and I love it that Sam has made some financial decisions that might not have been the best financially, but they've allowed her to enjoy her kids again, which is the best kind of decision in my book. I hope you enjoy my conversation with the lovely Samantha Dove. Hi, Sam. How are you? I'm really well, Mike. How are you going? I'm very well indeed. Very well indeed. And whereabouts in this beautiful world do I find you today? So I live uh, about half an hour south of Newcastle on uh, Lake Macquarie. So we, we live pretty much on the lake. So it's a lovely, quiet spot and still pretty close to everything we need. So yeah, we're really happy here. Beautiful. And Lake Macquarie, for all those people, here's a little bit of trivia for you. So Lake Macquarie is the largest saltwater lake in the Southern Hemisphere. It's actually four times the size of Sydney Harbour. But um, there are so many people, even Sydney siders, that probably don't even know that it exists. And it, it is only about an hour and a half away from Sydney. But um, there's my spiel for the Lake Macquarie <laughs> <laughs> local government. <laughs> For the tourism, tourism Lake Macquarie. Exactly, exactly. But um, I wanted to have a chat today because you do run the beautiful website, The Rich Life, and it's a wonderful play on words as you do share your mindful money tips. And you do it so people can be aware of how they're spending a money, uh, how they're spending their money, ways for them to be more mindful about it, but then so people can be rich in experiences of life. And you kind of link everything back to living intentionally, which is um, a joint passion of both of ours. There are lots of things that I do want to dive in today, to today. But first, can you tell me where did this fascination of being mindful about money come from? Well, I'd say, I mean, I've always been quite money orientated in terms of my how I think and and my career has kind of um, led me to quite an analytical kind of journey and so I've always been kind of smart with money I guess you'd say but um, 
over the last couple of years when I started going through a journey of trying to simplify our life and kind of be more intentional with our day-to-day life, I realised that I wasn't necessarily uh, being intentional with my money. Whilst I was being smart, I wasn't necessarily um, having that mindfulness about, about our money and linking it back to what was important to us and how we wanted to live. Um, so I guess that combined with just years and years of seeing a lot of people's financial situations and seeing how um, how they could just live such uh, more fulfilling lives if they kind of took a step back and actually really thought about what they wanted and kind of used their money to achieve that rather than this kind of grandiose objective of just wanting more, 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 more. Um, Sometimes you can get to where you want to be without necessarily more. So I guess two avenues, my own and just seeing other people as well. Yeah, and I, we'll dive into that, I guess, that of seeing other people in a, in a little bit. But you brought up something there that I completely agree with, and that's the element of more, that sometimes we can just go through collecting more just because more seems to be better. But I think you and I maybe are going down a similar path that that there is the beauty in less is more. And you, you spoke there too about the journey, kind of this personal journey that yourself and your family were going on. What was one of the tipping points to, I guess, start to really question how you were doing things? Well, I, I was running my own uh, accounting practice for many years and then I had my first child and I just thought he would happily sleep in the corner of my office and I would continue on my way and see clients and, you know, keep running a, an office practice. And, and of course, six months down the track, I realized that was not going to happen. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so so I, um, I closed the office down and I moved it to my home. And with one child, that worked really well. I, I, I kind of still could keep it all together and manage it quite well. And then I had a second child Um, and all all this time um, the kids were not in daycare. I was mainly um, relying on family to watch the kids when I had clients come to the house and then I would do most of my work at night. So I guess just uh, I did that for two and a half years after my second child was born and to be honest, the other day I was, she was asking me about baby stories for example and I struggled to think of any, and, and it's because it's a bit of a blur. It was all, um, you know, just keeping everything juggling in the air. I didn't have any time off really after I had her. Uh, I remember having this photo taken of me sitting on the lounge with her asleep on one leg and me doing work on my other leg and being really proud of it at the mo- at the time. Um, so, of course, this kind of built up and when she was just over two, I was really kind of struggling. I was really anxious and like really feeling like on the point of some sort of breakdown and something had to give. Um, so I was ready to chuck it all in. I'd kind of been, and I guess this comes back to this idea of, you know, um, not living not living for the now, but I, I kind of had this idea in my head that if I could just keep it all going until I had both kids at school, it would be, you know, a great um, work option whilst, you know, kids are at school, I could work. But that was still three and a half, four years away. 
And um, anyway, so I was ready to throw it all in and um, that was kind of the real tipping point of when I kind of changed all my priorities and changed my whole um, day-to-day life, really. And how, how did you go about changing your priorities and day-to-day life? What were some of the things that you looked at first or some of the things that you started doing differently? I guess I'd already I'd, I'd already started um, clearing the stuff away. That kind of started after my first child and, and as a way to try and make life a bit easier and that's kind of been an ongoing thing. Uh, I don't feel like I'm there yet but, again, I think it's just more like a journey in terms of, of clearing out stuff from your life. I don't think you ever get to a point where you're like, yep, this is the perfect amount of stuff mm. around me. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, yeah, I mean, at that point I um, I – closed my business down and a colleague of mine um, came, we came to an arrangement. She basically said, don't, don't throw everything in. You know, I can offer you for you to come in here a day a week. And so I just went in one day a week and got rid of a lot of extra things. I was on a few fundraising committees and which I enjoyed, but you know, I guess you've got to, it's all about priorities. And, and so they, they got cut away and just really being kind of ruthless with my time and, and not saying yes to things under obligation, uh, but only doing things that were really uh, super important to me. And at that point, it was, it was like getting my health and, and my mental state back to a, a calm spot. So yoga and things like that, where I focused on myself a little bit more. And was that was that initially hard to do, like to to make that shift and to to say no to things and pull out of you know previous agreements and things like that? Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, even closing the business was really hard. I'd, I'd been running that for I don't know ten years, and having so many people constantly saying to me, "Oh, you're so lucky. You can work from home. It's perfect. It's so flexible." Um, but you know, sometimes your own business is a catch-22 on the one hand it's super flexible on the other hand it's not flexible at all Mm. (laughs) there's just you so I guess um I I guess I was worried a lot about what other people would think about me closing it down and really no one ultimately no one cares as much as as you think they do Mm. um and and once once you kind of went through this change, and, and obviously this change just didn't happen in a week or, or, or in a month, and, and it's, it's probably still, you know, growing and, and you're growing into each day as it changes. But as you went through this, what were some of the big things that you started to notice or what were some of the, the parts of your life that you started to really focus on and, and new enjoyments that you got? Well, I think, I, I mean, firstly, I started enjoying my kids again. um it's it's very hard to to be present and to be um I don't know to to share your children's joy when you're just tired and stressed out and um and and not able to be in that moment so that was probably the number one thing that changed was my my enjoyment of my kids and my being able to be far more present with them I actually got to spend some time with my husband, which was nice because mm. previously, you know, the kids would go to bed and I'd go down into the office and start working, um, which isn't, you know, I don't think is, is particularly sustainable for very long, you know. So I guess those were the two main things, relationships. 
and and eventually my health you know came around and and you know I I I calmed I calmed down I calmed the anxiety down and um yeah it felt a lot happier but you know that was a period of six months to 12 months I guess it's it's really interesting and it comes up in so many of these conversations and obviously it comes up with my wife finger and, and her anxiety the amount of anxiety that especially mothers feel when kids are at that at that kind of under five age and mum's just feeling like they've got to juggle everything and and juggle and juggle and juggle and it's once they they let go a little bit and that anxiety releases it might not be cured but they it releases it's like this valve just kind of opens up and this air just comes out it's um it's really amazing to see and it's it comes up so often in in so many of these chats. Yeah, and I, I think we, we, you know, not just mothers, but but you know, primary primary caregivers, whoever's whoever's with, with the children for for most of the time, well, we expect a lot of ourselves in terms of um, in terms of of doing everything. Like I guess being being around children is not just being there to to serve their immediate needs, but if you can do it in a in a calm um, joyful state, then wow, that's kind of the ultimate, really, isn't it? Which is how you and I do it all the time, isn't it? You and I are both very calm, joyful parents every moment. <laughs> <laughs> every moment, every single moment. <laughs> but make it... I was uh, sorry. <laughs> I was cooking the the dinner on Monday night, and I actually indulged on Monday in a snooze in the middle of the day because I was really tired. And um, I was cooking the dinner and I was like really happy and singing with the kids. And I'm like, wow, I'm such a good mum tonight. And then I thought, that's right, I had a two-hour snooze. <laughs> <laughs> well, we should all have some afternoon naps. I think that's the that's remedy it. for everybody. <laughs> but when, like making these changes and I, I guess linking it back to <clears throat> the, the financial side of things, you have also, <clears throat> pardon me, <clears throat> you have also made some I guess some decisions, some money decisions that um, not every accountant might advise, but you did them so that you could live a certain way. Can you can you talk me through the process of that? Like, and I guess especially because you have been working in that kind of financial industry for so long, you probably have been taught. Um, you know, you need to save, you need to do this. And it's all about that kind of tomorrow and looking after future Sam. But you did kind of things to, I guess, bring your, your debt down and pay your house off now. Can you talk me through, I guess, the thought process around that and, and kind of why you did it? Yeah, sure. So I guess that I, I'd kind of call that maybe stage two of, of after I closed the business down and I was, you know, just going in and working uh, one day a week. Um, we still, we, we had at the time we had a rental property, we had, you know, quite a few shares and different investments and we had a house that we lived in, but it still had, you know, a reasonable amount of debt associated with it. And, you know, I, I would say I'm, I'm a fairly risk adverse person anyway, in terms of, I, I don't like the feeling of debt and whilst, you know, whether we sold our investments or whether we didn't like our net worth or how much we were worth at that point in time was no different but that having that debt against our house and against the rental property kind of always came into play when we were talking about 
um, you know, planning planning our life out in terms of how much we would work or what kind of travel we wanted to do, that kind of thing. So it was always kind of a, a came into play with decisions. Um, so I guess I got to the point where um, I said to my husband, you know, if we just, if we sold off the rental property and um, we sold off the shares or most of them anyway, which we weren't managing because we were too tied up with children and, you know, and working and life and um, we could pay off our house. And by paying off the house, I guess, whilst, you know, I, you talk about accountants and being from that financial background, I guess always it's about maximising. That's the the bottom line of, of when you're doing any of that kind of work. Someone will come to you and they want the, the optimal outcome, their maximum outcome. And really sitting back and looking at it, we probably – would have been better to keep the rental property. It was a it was a good investment. It made money for us. It didn't. It wasn't making a loss. It made money for us, and it was a good investment. But it took time to manage. Uh, it took mental load to for me anyway. I, I was always thinking about it. I was always thinking about that debt. I was always thinking about what if we didn't have any debt and how that would feel. And so we decided, yeah, we'd just get rid of it all. So yeah, we we sold off our investments. Um, we sold off our rental property, we paid off our house, uh, we kept aside, we, we were still left with a nice tidy buffer and, yeah, we've just simplified our whole money side of things and I guess apart from the reasons that I already mentioned, the other thing was that we realised in 15, 20 years we're actually going to have enough anyway when we plotted it out. So we don't actually need to worry about maximising 20 years' time, why not? make the changes that will affect our lives now and enjoy it now. And how, how does it feel to be debt-free? Well, I actually wrote about the day I went into the bank. I kind of expected like balloons to fall from the, <laughs> the roof. Or <laughs> there was none of that. I was doing my little happy dance. But I guess, you know, it, it's, it means that, you know, we're not – we're not affected by by interest rates, by external external decisions in terms of of servicing that debt, and so we know exactly how much we need each year now to live, and that's really kind of changed our way of being able to plan. You know, we know exactly how much we need to to live on, and so from there we can make some decisions that seemed perhaps you know not feasible before, but, but, but really but, but they that's actually a good point. Feasible. That's actually a good point that you've brought up because when you and I were having a coffee the other week, you asked me if I knew my number and I was like, <laughs> what, what are you talking about here, Sam? But, but talk to me, you kind of touched on it there, but can you, you talk or talk about this notion of the number? Because I think it's really, really important. Yeah. So, so I guess like I've noticed over the years that most people have no clue about how much they need to live each year and if they're earning a hundred thousand they'll probably say oh we need about a hundred thousand <laughs> or if they're earning 50 they'll say oh we need about 50 or maybe they'll say we need about 60 I don't know but they, they, they kind of haven't spent the time to to figure out um, how much they need to live a happy life and I think when you actually start becoming really mindful about how you're living you you end up becoming mindful about how you spend your money. Um, 
so that mindfulness, once once you become mindful with how you spend your money, you can really break down what you spend, whether it really adds value or not, and break it down right to the point of being able to, to come up with a figure, you know, like 50000 60000 whatever, whatever it may be for you, um, and know when you're making decisions that, okay, once as long as I earn more than that 60000 then I can save the rest, we could travel, you know, whatever. But knowing that figure really makes it easier to make life decisions, I think. And how did you arrive at that figure? How did you figure out what your number was? And do you look at it from a yearly point of view or do you break it down monthly or, or how do you, how would people arrive to that number? Yeah. So I guess, first of all, it, it involves a little bit of, of the painful process of recording what you're actually spending for a little while. Um, and it's, I guess it's a bit like a diet, isn't it? If you write down what you eat, you can sit back and go, eh, that's not so, <laughs> that's not so good. Or same with writing down what, what you're spending. You, you write down what you spend and you look at it and you go, geez, we spent $150 on restaurants this week, let's say. Um, does, did I really enjoy that? Like, is that really related to what's really important? to me like actually what's important to me is time and that took me three hours to earn that money mm-hmm. so yeah so I guess writing down everything that that you spend is is probably critical and from there you can start looking at things that can be done more cheaply for example like like yourself I know Mike you've got rid of one car for example um, is that possible can you get rid of a car can you find cheaper insurance um and then taking it a step further, where's that discretionary money going? Where's that, you know, entertainment money and all that kind of thing? Do you really, do you really get value out of it or, or, or is it really just kind of wasted spending? So recording it's probably number one and then going through and having a real look at what you're spending and relating it back to what's important to you and whether, whether it actually makes your, your days any better or, or whether you'd be better to work three hours less a day. <laughs> Uh, and, and it's it's so true. It's like being able to see where you spend your money and writing out what we spend. I, I started that when we went to when we went on our trip around America because I just didn't know what it was going to cost. I couldn't budget for things. I just didn't know. So I thought if I just write everything down every single day, at least I'd be able to track it and and kind of catch any red flags before they became really painful and just keeping in that habit now i've been doing it for like over a year and a half because started doing kept doing it while we came back it's really interesting to kind of look where we spend our money and comparing month on month and and looking at going hey we did try to save money that month and it really did work we like we did save and we put money away like we love skiing so we'll start to put little bits of money away each week. Um, so then when the, the ski holiday comes, it's not this massive burden. Um, and our life doesn't kind of change because we've been paying it um, kind of like a reverse credit card in a sense. Like we're paying for it a little bit each week and then going on the holiday instead of going on the holiday and then paying for it for however many weeks after. But I, I, I 100% agree with you there. Like recording that money and writing it down really helps you to do so many of the other things that you want to do because you can 
it can sometimes slap you in the face to go, man, why am I wasting the money there? You know, because I do find that the the money question or that money hurdle is often one of the big things that stops people from doing the things that they want to do. Yeah, and I, th- I think that can be for different reasons too. Like we all kind of have, you know, different kind of seated ideas about money for some people. Like for me, for example, I know there's definitely an element of security and I feel secure if there's a buffer. And mm. and so I guess it really depends on different people in terms of of how what, what money means to them on a kind of a deeper level. But I think, you know, like writing it down doesn't necessarily mean a budget and budget, budgets kind of freak people out. Like I don't budget. I just am mindful when I spend money. So you don't need to, you don't need to restrict your life. You just need to really think about when you're spending the money and whether it adds value. So, so when you talk about that, so let's break that down. When you don't budget, so you in a sense don't have a thing that says um, you can spend $400 on grocery groceries this month or 500 whatever it's going to be but when you're grocery shopping you are mindful that you're not spending money or buying things that you don't necessarily need is that the yeah exactly yeah yeah so and before I go grocery shopping like I'm a I'm a meal planner you know I plan out what we're going to eat for the next week or two um the shopping's deliberate I'm I'm buying what we need um and, you know, I guess the other thing I kind of do a lot is is do little mini experiments. So, you know, one month, um, for example, we decided we weren't going to spend any more than $200 on eating out, entertainment, after-school activities, any of that, just testing it, you know. What, what was the result of it? Well, the result was that we still had a great month, absolutely no decrease in happiness, you know. It was still... It was still a fabulous month. We had to be a little bit more organized. We had to think a little bit more and be a bit more creative. But, um, yeah, but there was no there was no difference in, in happiness. And so even if one month we maybe spend more than that, um, it's not necessarily about constraining our spending but just making sure that what we spend really, yeah, adds value to our lives. So. And I think those little experiments and little tests are really important because I th- – Sometimes we have these preconceived ideas that of what we can and what we can't do or, or how something will change our life or how something won't change our life. But we don't really know until we test it. And, and even if you do something, Sam, that might be completely different to how it, it affects my life until I test it myself. Um, one great example is that Inga and I, we've just finished a month of n- not eating meat, like no meat may. Um, yep. It's been great. It's been a huge eye-opener to me. Um, I probably will still eat meat again, but I don't think I'm going to eat anywhere near as much. Um, We've both felt healthier, and we actually saved a fair bit of money on the grocery bill. But we wouldn't have known that if we kind of didn't test it and kind of roll with it and things like that. So I I think that's a a great piece of advice that you've just given there, Sam, is for people to kind of do little tests within themselves. Yeah, and I, I guess like your your no meat challenge. If you had just come out and said, right, we're going, we're, we're turning vegetarian, <laughs> it's quite overwhelming and it's quite kind of confronting. And an experiment is a nice kind of way to do things, I think. And you know, we've I've experimented with some things where, like for example, my one I would say indulgence is yoga, and so I I pay to go to yoga each week. Um, 
and so I've I've stopped that for a period of time. Am I any less happy? Probably not. But I certainly wasn't doing yoga at home. Like it was, it's very much an accountability thing for me, and getting me out and 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 it's like the whole experience of it, I guess. So, you know, I know I could live without it, or I could still be happy. But I, I at this point in time, I'm quite happy to spend the money on that. So sometimes you actually cut something out and go, you know what? That's actually worth the money mm. for me at the moment. Um, yeah, it's not always. It's not always about saving the money it's always it's also about you know how you spend your money too yeah most definitely and you you spoke about before um you know working within the financial industry and and owning your own accounting practice so out of the people that you've seen what are some of the big kind of common mistakes that people are making with their money or their relationship with their money well, I, I would say the biggest mistake is that they're not at all in touch with what's important to them to begin with. So the most common question or the most common query people will come to you with is, uh, what should I do with my money? And I'll say, well, what, what are you trying to achieve? Like, what's your objective? Oh, we're just trying to make the most of what we've got and we're trying to build, you know, build our wealth and and. Don't get me wrong, I, I, I'm not anti-building wealth. I'm only, uh, I'm, I'm pro-living. <laughs> so, like, it's all very well to, to build wealth, but, but you know, what, what, are you, what are you giving up in the meantime and what's really important to you anyway? And is that extra million dollars in, two, or in 20 years' time going to change your life then, really? Or, or is it that you're just going to have more money and you're still going to live the same life? So I guess usually when people come to me with that question, I send them away and tell them to think about what their objective is. And sometimes people will say, oh, our objective is in five years I want to go part-time. And then you've got something to work with. You can cost it out. You can work out how much it will cost. Um, you can see what kind of how risk-adverse people are or, or what they'd like to do with their money. You know, some people are like me and, would rather end up in 20 years' time with a little less money but have no debt in the meantime and other people are more than happy to take that on and, and um, for, the, for the sake of having more. So, yeah, I, I guess my number one tip would be to really think about what's important to you and to see if the way you're using your money reflects that. What are ways or where are places that you think people can can save money or, or be a little bit more mindful about it? Well, I guess, you know, my, my number one go-to when you want to save money is to first of all try and save money for things that you have to buy already that um, are not going to change your life at all by by changing them. For example, things like phones, insurance, all that kind of thing. You know, you could very well save a few hundred dollars on your insurance just by calling two or three places, uh, and and already you're you're saving money without actually changing anything about your day to day life. So that's like the number one thing. First of all, is to look at all the things you have to spend and try and just get a cheaper version of it. Uh, I guess then once you go to the next level, 
you know, the, the number one thing people spend money on apart from those essentials is like entertainment and food and eating out. So if you can become mindful about what, what really adds value to you, you know, is it, are you one of these people that absolutely loves to go to amazing foodie places? If so, fine. If not, like me, who's quite happy to have a burger and a milkshake, <laughs> then like for me, it's all about the company and the people I'm with and spending time mm. with the people I'm with um, far above the food. Then, you know, really look at at kind of steering towards like lower cost options or eating at home or having people over. You know, a couple of weeks ago we had a big curry night at our house and everyone bought a curry over and we had an awesome night. The kids had a ball and it, it would have been just as enjoyable as going to a restaurant, if not more. So, yeah, those discretionary things. Um, what does the, the phrase intentional living mean to you? Yeah, intentional living, I would say, is being mindful about what I do on a day-to-day level. And so I guess that kind of waves out not only to, you know, that, that also waves out to how you spend your money, how you spend your time, how you spend your energy. Uh, yeah, so just, I guess, mindfulness in the moment. Mm. You, you, you've spoken about it. A little bit in this conversation and it's and it's a big thing for me and it's that notion of time and I also know that you've kind of written about this link between time and money in the past and that the amount of time that we have to give up for the money and and you kind of one of the quotes that you used in in this article is from Thoreau when he said that the price of anything is the amount of life you exchange for it and that really hit home for me and I was like that I 100% agree with that. I love it all the way. But how do you find that balance? Or are there things that you do to kind of be mindful of that balance between money and time? Well, I guess on that idea of money and time, one book that I read which kind of really shifted the way I think about this exact kind of concept is Your Money or Your Life. So I'm not sure if you've heard of that. Um, but that puts 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 that idea exactly into like frames that exact idea uh, going beyond just like for example you go to work and you spend um, you, you earn fifty dollars an hour for example then this book says well how long does it take you to get to work and how about that lunch hour which you wouldn't choose to be at work doing and how about the costs associated with you going to work and so really looking at what that hour of time you're actually earning for that hour of time um now you're gonna have to take me back to the question (laughs) (laughs) no i was talking about like how how do you how do you find that balance between time and money or are there things like are there certain things that you do to be kind of mindful about it like and aware of you know because we all need money there's, yeah, there's, yeah. there's money that we need and, and you've made some decisions that have allowed you to live debt free. And, and there's going to be people listening to this going, well, that's fine for Sam because she has been um, conscious about her money for the last 10 to 15 years and she's had shares and blah, blah, blah. She's in a great place to be able to do what she's been able to do. But how, 
like that that link between money and time it's really hard to kind of find that equilibrium like that perfect balance spot but are there any things that you do um to find or be aware of that 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 balance between money and time yeah like i mean i guess for us personally it's kind of a bit of a dance really like you know sometimes you feel like you've got the the balance right and and i should say as well that like we we earn more than we need and so that just gives us we're just saving a lot i guess um and so that's that's a i guess a a position that we're in where we we work as much as we do at the moment because we both really like our work um I like that feeling because I know when I get to the point of not liking my work or if I want to swap or try something new, I can. But but in terms of getting that balance right, you know, some weeks we love our work and we it gets a bit hectic and we do, you know, we work more than the following week and you feel it and you kind of adjust appropriately. I, I think though it comes back to knowing how much you need to live and ultimately you're going to still have to earn that amount of money to to survive beyond that it's it's a choice of um it's a choice of how you want to spend that time do you want to do you want to work or and do you enjoy your work at the moment and you you, you know like I've had a lot of friends say to me I, I don't want to work two days I love what I do mm. it's like well that's cool do it but but to know you're in the position that you don't have to is quite empowering yeah I, and I think too, like being able to bring down those external costs. So as, as you kind of said, if you do want to change or something with your work changes, you can, like you have that, that freedom or that kind of that safety net allowing you to kind of make that leap and, and do certain things and the, and getting rid of those external costs could be down to one car or not moving in and upgrading to that bigger house and all those kinds of things. But I, I liked what you said there about that. It really is a dance. Cause I, th- I think that is so true. Like it's, there's not one way just to kind of find this balance, you know, one month that works this way, the next month that works that way. And it really is this kind of toing and froing this dance between money and time, but to be really mindful of it, I think is that key ingredient throughout the whole process. Yeah, and to, I, I, I guess the, the the step up from from being mindful of it is to being willing to 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 change, you know. Um, to so so my husband is usually does a four day week now, and you know a lot of people don't even ask for those kind of arrangements, even if they can afford it or they're really attached to that idea of that extra money uh, and they're not willing to give that up for the for the extra day or for the extra two days or whatever, you know, whatever it is that they're asking for. Um, the, the flexibility isn't always there for everyone. I certainly acknowledge that, but I think a lot of people don't even don't even consider it as an option. Well, the flexibility isn't there if you don't ask for it in the first place. Totally, you know, yeah. Sometimes yeah. you just do need to need to ask that question. But I'm also a big believer that if you want to do different things, then you need to do different things. And I think your your husband asking to, to work four days is, is a great example. And I think that you've done many different things throughout your life so that you can live differently. But one of the places that you also do different things 
is when you travel and you look at different ways of having these great adventures with your family, but still still kind of being money conscious throughout them. Can you just tell me um, some stories and, and it's the, the camper the camper story, which is coming <laughs> coming to my mind, which um, I'm trying to convince you to. <laughs> well, I, I actually I actually sent the link to Inga the other day and said these days don't work, but just keep this in the back of your <laughs> mind. But can you talk me through that? And and it's really that link to hey, I wanted to go on a family holiday, but here's the a cheaper way of doing it and a really cool way of doing it. But um, yeah, tell me about that little trip. Yeah, so so that particular trip, um, we were actually looking at maybe going to Darwin or, or somewhere like that. We we like to go to kind of um, outdoorsy kind of places, and um, we were looking at Darwin, and it was super expensive. And I stumbled across a um, deal where a hire car needed these rooftop four wheel drive camper vehicles relocated they were brand new vehicles and they needed them relocated from Melbourne to Alice Springs now I don't for any non-Australians I can't give you the stats on how far that is but it is quite a distance um it would be like going I'm gonna have a, a wild stab at this it would be like going from let's say um South Carolina or or Florida somewhere like that going to maybe Nebraska or Colorado that's kind of so from the the bottom the bottom east to pretty much the middle yeah a big trip yeah (laughs) all that Um, a big trip yeah yeah so so I guess the the company was um offering up ten it was ten dollars a day for the hire of this vehicle um for two weeks you had two weeks to get it from point A to point B and it was absolutely nothing like what we were intending to do for our holiday. So I guess flexibility is the key when you're you're after these kind of deals, be open-minded to what adventure you might actually go on. Um, and and the, the dates, you know, worked. So yeah, we, my, my husband drove kind of a third of the distance in a day and then I met him uh, at in Adelaide, and we we drove from Adelaide up to Alice Springs, exploring all of that area. And of course, when you're in a camper van or a, like a vehicle like that, you can have you know it was all self catering. We had all our own food and things like that. It was primarily national parks and outdoors activities, so it wasn't you know a lot of expense um, from that point of view. And then we we frequent fly it at home from Alice Springs, so it, it ended up being like a really super cheap holiday nothing like we had planned but yeah like I say just being flexible and open to the idea of an adventure but um and how was it how was it going through the middle of Australia fantastic (laughs) I was kicking myself that I hadn't uh, I hadn't done it before and I I will definitely do it again when the kids are a bit bigger just for a, a different experience again but um it was fabulous it was it was amazing yeah and you've also done things like house swap as well is that correct yeah yeah so we've done that quite a bit actually um or even sometimes if we're going away we just offer our house up to friends and they stay here if we're going somewhere else but yeah we'll 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 swap our house for like um someone in sydney for example friends in sydney and for them they get out of sydney and we're in a pretty nice spot on the lake here so it's a nice getaway for them and we get to stay in the city in a house with, you know, kitchen and toys for the kids mm. and 
um, yeah, and, and that costs us nothing basically uh, apart from a little bit of, you know, getting organised before we go away. Plus, you know, we have a dog as well so um, and chickens. So, you know, that that's someone then to look after the dog and the, the chooks so we, you know, save money there too. So, and yeah, I think, I think – Sorry. Yeah, no, I was just going to say I think really the key is um, – to be to be flexible if you if you want to um, save money on your travels, being really attached to going to a certain place at a certain time really restricts your options. No, I hundred percent agree, and I think it's really just about thinking just differently and and, and giving things a go. And as you said, that being flexible, um, whether that be in the dates, but also flexible around the experiences. I find that for me, when when I travel and I have no expectations because I haven't had the time to build expectations is often the best travel experiences that, that I've had. Um, but before we go today, Sam, I have one final question and I know it's a question you, um, were expecting cause I know that you listen to the podcast, but, um, can you please describe your perfect day? Well, we, yeah, I, I mean, I've been talking to some friends about this lately and, and we had a chat about this when we caught up the other week, Mike, but I think often your perfect day is not sitting drinking cocktails um, by a pool, but it's just really simple things. So for me, you know, my perfect day involves like a slow start, maybe some exercise, being with my kids in the morning, walking to school, which is a real luxury, um, doing a bit of work that I find meaningful uh, during the day, being able to spend that time with my kids in the afternoon and maybe a glass of wine with my husband in the evening, maybe a bit of yoga in there as well. But, um, you know, I'd be perfectly happy with days like that. <laughs> uh, it's so true. And, and it really is the common thread when I ask people that question. It is really simple, like the days that people describe. And it's um, and they're, they're beautiful. You've, you've described a day that I could thoroughly enjoy myself. But um, Sam, I want to say a massive thank you for sharing your story. And to really kind of, you gave some great tips there about different ways to think about money. And I think that is really the key takeaway from this conversation is it's not so much about doing ABC, but really being thoughtful about how people are spending their money and looking at different ways that maybe maybe there are just a few little changes that people can make and that's going to drastically change the lifestyle that they're living. But before we go, Sam, if people do want to follow you or reach out to you and, and read some articles uh, from your blog and things like that, what's the best way for them to do that? Yes. Yeah, so the, uh, the website, uh, the blog is therichlife.com.au and uh, I'm on Facebook as well, which is Journey to the Rich Life. So those are my only two social media outlets. But, yeah, definitely get in touch. I love chatting about this stuff, so uh, I'd love to chat with anyone that's interested. Happy days, and I'll make sure that all the links are in the show notes at liveimmediately.com. But is there anything else that I've left out or anything that you want to say before we go, Sam? No, not at all. Just, I guess, like you, Mike, with your trips overseas, like don't necessarily let money get in the way of, of – of doing these things that you really want to do because quite often there's a way. There's always a way. I love it. But uh, Sam, thank you once again. And thank you everybody for listening. And until next time, have fun and live immediately. 
was another episode of the Live Immediately podcast with Mike Campbell. Thanks so much for listening. The original Live Immediately theme music is by the multi-talented Timothy McPhee. You can check out his music at firekites.bandcamp.com. If you enjoyed the show, had some fun, and maybe even learned something, then make sure you subscribe via iTunes. And while you're there, why not leave a rating and a review? You know it's going to make my day. Thanks for stopping by and giving me some of your time today. I'll catch you on the next episode. And until then, have fun and live immediately.